McCarthy with American Vapor Manufacturers, and we are going to begin our Shaping Vaping Chit Chat in just a minute. Um, so bear with us. Char Owen, I see that you're a speaker. If you request to join in... Uh, I did. Oh, there you are. Terrific. <laughs> nice to hear your mellifluous voice. How are you? I am good today. How are you? I am, um, well, I guess we will talk about how I am <laughs> in shaping vaping. Okay. Let it all hang out. Yeah, we are doing uh, PMTA files today with their lovely deadline of 60 days. Um, I don't have to tell you how that's going. Well, listen, I, you know, at, at the risk of self-praise for um, uh, AVM, I'm at a loss to think of anyone who's more of an expert in the PMTA application process than you, Char. So hats off for that uh, intrepid work. Well, you know, and, and the hardest part that I'm having a problem with is you are asking mom and pop shops to do something that it would literally take, um, you know, uh, an IT specialist to do most of the time and you know so all day long i hear ding 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 yep. and it's usually questions and it's and, and and we're not talking scientific questions we're talking questions like um i can't and i got this one today this is why i say this i got this one today um i can't edit what rows that i want to process my environmental assessments so i go i'm like all right so we go back and forth for about five to ten minutes and then i'm like okay what 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 are we doing here? And I'm like, let's do TeamViewer, right? So I can see what you're doing. Uh, they just hadn't unzipped the file. Oh, my gosh. Uh, yeah, and so this is how I'm dealing with this all day long. You're, you're not talking Philip Morris here and their expert scientists or expert yeah. IT staff that they can just call and go, hey, uh, IT guy, I can't make this file work. Um, you're talking mom and pop and... And guess who they call? Well, it's really it's really outrageous, and you're making me think about the kind of the broader phenomenon that's happening here, which is, you know, what economists would call regulatory capture. And the idea oh, is yeah. that you know these giant firms that have huge compliance departments and you know legal teams, thousands of people deep, uh, for them it's you know uh, it's manageable. It's Sixty days. It's 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 a it's a doable process. Right. When you're when you're when you're talking about I mean, so they're not taking a hit, and they're not taking a stab at, at yeah. anyone here, Jewel, or anyone here that has a corporation with hundreds of staff behind them. Yeah. They are taking a direct jab yeah. at mom and pop shops. It is not yeah. about those larger companies. It is directly about small business well, yeah. which is exactly the place we shouldn't be direct hitting right now well it's, it's terribly frustrating and you know you see this in in, in washington in, in a lot of different sectors too where the market leaders will you know push congress for more regulation and the reason is because they know it freezes out smaller entrepreneurial competitors and it creates a giant moat around their business yep. so that their market share can never be threatened and it's horribly unethical both parties sadly engage in it and um and they do it for a lot for money i mean well, sure I, I fight battles and we're fighting battles statewide many states because altria decided that they wanted to come in and pass laws that benefited their market share so we've got politicians that are doing the bidding of these larger companies and we've got the fda that's doing the bidding of them yeah. all at the behest of shoving out these little guys. Yeah. I mean, the part, the part that I think that, these yeah. guys aren't even really their, their, their competitors. Well, you know, it's interesting that it's, it's tempting to think that giant firms wouldn't be worried about, you know, tiny little mosquitoes like that, but they know that breakthrough technology, especially in the space that innovates this quickly can quickly overtake them. So they'll, they'll try to wipe out, any competitor, you know, even if it's out of the back of a garage. I mean, and, and, you know, it's silly, but I can tell you 
what the name is of the lobbyist that that deals with Altria in the state of Texas. Why? Because I fight her bills all the time. And it's not about saving the children. It's about saving their back pocket and keeping people vaping their stuff and not someone else's. Well, you, you, know, you know me, Char. I, I, have an, I have a sort of Irish pub reflex of taking swings at the news media. So I'll take one here since I'm pushing my own buttons. I explained this phenomenon to a publication in Washington, D.C., which supposedly focuses on, you know, policy and how the political sausage gets made, Politico. And, mm. uh, you know, the, you would have thought that to the, to the editor that I was explaining that to, that I was talking about, you know, ancient Greek literature, just <laughs> didn't understand, could not care less. Um, it's, yeah. it, it's enormously frustrating because, you know, those are the, the that's a huge responsibility of the press to try to distill and explain these phenomena to American voters, because as they love to to praise themselves, democracy is not possible without the news media, don't you know? And yet here's this here's this widespread phenomenon that's happening. And in, and in this one sector alone is endangering, you know, uh, countless thousands, millions of, of lives of Americans. And yet at these Beltway publications, there's just total indifference. You know, they'd much rather cover you know, some made up lemonade flavor that Matt, Matt Myers thought of in yep. a fever dream than actually explain to the public the way that these broader forces are working. I have actually had a lawmaker tell me to my face and I got frustrated with them and a little angry, but I had her tell me to my face, why couldn't an elderly person, because we, we of course, were, were not, were pushing to uh, not have it taxed out of their reach right so why couldn't an elderly person just go buy one of those small milliliter mm -hmm. uh vapes mm -hmm. and i'm like well those are 50 milligrams and yeah. they're old yeah yeah i mean you really don't want a 50 milligram in in the hands of a 90 year old uh, sure <laughs> it's really not where we want to go with that sure. let me and, um, um let me just interrupt you for no let idea. me interrupt you for a sec because i see that we've got matthew milby as a listener but matt if you can hear this uh <laughs> you, you need to request uh to be a speaker and oh and i know he's got some input on this one yeah we can um his state's actually one that, that's fighting one of those uh you know, yeah. one of those bills that are put into for the market. Share. Well, I'll be curious to hear what he has to has to say, because I've, I've, I've had some uh, conversations in recent weeks with a few of the political strategists that are trying to help his governor, Larry Hogan, who has White House aspirations and has been out um, traveling around fundraising for a potential presidential bid. So I want to bounce some ideas off that and see if Governor Matthew on the left hand on your phone, if you're on the phone. Um, on the left-hand side, it says uh, request. If you will hit that button. Or just if you're on your phone. If you're not on your phone, you, you may want to get on your phone. Twitter Spaces generally likes to play a lot better on your phone. Um, but in the meantime, Char, I'll tell you about one of my fever dreams. Have, have you ever seen those uh, Liam Neeson movies where he, like, you know, chases down the kidnapper? It's yes. like these revenge fantasy movies. My, my, my revenge fantasy is I want to have all the bureaucrats at FDA, CDC, the U.S. Surgeon General's office. And in order for in order for them to, you know, get to work or buy their groceries or go about their daily lives, I get to be in charge of the forms and processes and websites they got to fill out and go to before they can have permission to, to live their lives as Americans. Yep. Yep. I, I was trying to find formula for, for my granddaughter yesterday and, um, and, uh, and I couldn't because of the FDA and my mother just immediately said, you know, I am starting to really hate the, the term FDA. Well, my, my, my policy for FDA is burn the building down and salt the earth so that nothing, else can, be over. Grow, nothing yep. else can ever grow there. Yeah. I, I agree. Just, it is beyond, uh, infested with trash hey matthew hey uh sorry for the confusion can you hear me we can matthew <laughs> yeah, milby thank you so I, I, yeah I, I tried doing it on my on my desktop and there's no speaker button on twitter through desktop so i had to shut that off and get on my phone and do it well, from there well that's mo more proof that uh the, the the vaping industry is on the very cutting edge of technology because we are at the forefront <laughs> we're ahead we're even ahead of twitter in in uh managing <laughs> this platform 
Um, well, let me introduce our guest today. We obviously we have Shar Owen, uh, the intrepid, indomitable um, from American Vapor Manufacturers, and we've also got Matthew Milby, who's with uh, the Maryland Vapor Alliance. And Matt, why don't we kick off a little bit by having you tell us um, about uh, your work with Maryland Vapor? Yeah, sure. Um, so. We started, or I mean, I started the Maryland Vapor Alliance, God, four or five years ago now. And uh, the reason we formed it is because we were hit with, uh, at that time, we were approached by the VTA, and we had some bad legislation coming down in the form of a licensing bill in Maryland. And uh, it was an industry-killing bill. And so uh, I went down to Baltimore and got, you know, articles of incorporation, followed all the necessary paperwork, became a 501c6 nonprofit, and we started fighting legislation. And it's uh, um, found a good uh, lobbyist, and, uh, and we've done some great things over the past, you know, five years. We've, we've of all the bills that we um, have fought, we've defeated every flavor ban that has popped up. Um, we've defeated every local authorization bill. Um, we did have a 6% uh, tax at the point of sale increase that we uh, bargained down from a 85% wholesale tax. And uh, we had a, a redefinitions of our business licenses to show us that we are vape shops with a $25 fee. But other than that, there has been really no negative impact on businesses in the state of Maryland because, you know, of all the shops and all the people that, you know, donate their time and resources and testifying. So it's it's been a really good run for us. That's great to hear. Well, you know, I, I was saying to Char before you joined us that um, I've been watching uh, very closely and had a few conversations with some of the strategists that are helping your governor, Mr. Larry Hogan. Um, who uh, seems to fancy his chances for a uh, presidential run. And I, I'd be curious to know your thoughts on his disposition toward um, vaping. It's, it's really hard to tell. Um, I, I have, uh, I've met Larry Hogan on several occasions and uh, he always goes to the, in Westminster, Maryland, he goes the, uh, to the Oktoberfest thing every year, which I'm always there. And I introduce myself as from the Maryland Vapor Alliance, and he doesn't really have anything to say about vaping. Um, well, I'm going to try to urge his people that if they want to put a, you know, turbo boost on their campaign, they could gather, you know, giant bushels of voters if he, if he, um, came out, you know, with, with, with a good pro-vaping policy, much like, you know, Senator Ron Johnson, to name one of many. I think if you just come out with a, a speech of leave it alone, yeah. you would get, you know, that's the thing is that such of the screamers and the criers are such a very minute portion, but they do it so loudly that they look like a larger portion than they actually are. Yeah. If you just as a politician had a, do no harm kind of mentality um you would be very much closer to middle of the road yeah and that's the way politics used to be right 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 well you know and there's also there's a problem as ever you know with with news media capture and i i'd be curious to hear your your thoughts matt on the um on on how the baltimore sun the state's largest paper covers vaping issues i i, I admit i haven't zeroed in on that as closely as i have say the washington post but how's the how does the news media play out with the local affiliates and the Maryland press? The Maryland press is, for a large majority of it, not in favor of vaping, and uh, and it's more we really we really tend to, to focus on because you know limited resources and all being what they are, and uh, we we tend to focus on education through uh, legislators. Um, we go to a lot of different events. Um, there's a big summer event in Ocean City called MACO, which is the Maryland Association of Counties, where we get to talk to a bunch of legislators. Um, my goal this year is to zero on and getting every legislator from every district to a vape shop. Mm -hmm. And that it's just, it's more powerful to me. I mean, if we had all the money in the world, we could do a lot of PR stuff. Mm -hmm. And 
and really fight the bad stuff that's out there. But, you know, resources dictate that, you know, we can't do that. And it's sad. So the next best thing we can do is make use of our lobbyist and and really educate the uh, the legislative uh, aspect of it. In fact, our, our lobbyists actually walked around Annapolis with an open system tank that most vape shops sell with the, you know, where you can have a device that lowers your nicotine over time and a jewel. And he went to all these lawmakers, we talked to him and he was teaching them the difference between like, listen, this is the one that has PMTA approval, mm-hmm. which is also the state's biggest problem. And we, we show all the, the reports every time we go with like who is selling to minors and what products they are. So we've really tried to focus our attention, not so much in the media, but on, you know, individual legislators and the committees that we deal with, because that's, that's where we can have the most impact with the funds that we have. You know, it's curious that there's so many different constituencies in the state of Maryland, uh, you know, not many people know this because Maryland seems, I think, to a lot of folks, a smaller state. But in fact, it's got a really, really wide range of constituencies all the way from way out by West Virginia and Deep Creek Lake, which I'm sure you know well, Matt, and all the way down to the Del Marva Peninsula. And it'd probably take you a good, I don't know, six hours plus to drive from one end to the other. I can't help thinking and Baltimore in between. I can't help thinking that there's and then the last part that I'll mention is is just outside of D.C. is um Montgomery County, Maryland, which must be the most, you know, Chardonnay drinking, you know, I call them the Neiman Marxists, the, uh, you know, these bureaucrat, heavy blue Dem voters in Montgomery County. But it's a it's a real patchwork of political constituencies. And I can't help thinking there's more than a few that would have affinity for our, you know, viewpoint on this. I agree with you wholeheartedly. Um. Yeah, Montgomery County, they they passed a a local law that's pretty much going to get rid of all vaping together in um, Montgomery County. It was a local law that basically said you can't have a vape shop anywhere within a school district, anywhere within a a park, uh, this, that, that. And there's just nowhere to put a vape shop now in, in Montgomery County. And you're absolutely right. And there's also which is going to be weird to deal with is that right now Maryland is dealing with a uh, gerrymandering issue and the courts have actually threw out the redistricting map and voted in a new one. And everything's in kind of disarray right now until everything gets reorganized. So yeah, but Maryland is a very odd state when you look at it, especially with the districts where they go and, you know, it's really a mess. Well, I'm going to pull a move here uh, from the old uh, great baseball manager from Maryland, Earl Weaver, and take myself out of the ball game in the first inning because we've got our ace pitcher, Amanda Wheeler, um, known to the fans as the Vaped Crusader, who's about to uh, to <laughs> join in and co-host. Amanda, are you ready to take the mound? I, I am here, but but feel free to uh, stay in the game, Jim. Thanks for hosting for me. I had a, a meeting that was running a little bit over. I was having a, an intense debate on whether or not municipal flavor bans drive up consumption in neighboring cities, which would seem to be you know, quite obvious to those of us that have been involved in some of these municipal bans, but sometimes the facts are irrelevant in these discussions. Well, I'll tell you what, I'll leave with this one, um, with this one good news handoff for you, Amanda, and I'll let you take over. And it, it is this, that uh, in tomorrow's Washington Times newspaper, there will be a lengthy op-ed essay under Amanda's byline, taking uh, FDA's Mitch Zeller to the absolute woodshed. I mean, it is like, a scorcher so do not miss it we'll put it on the avm twitter feed and um be sure to share it around and um amanda i'll uh, I'll leave it to you and i'll listen to the rest yeah thanks jim so um i'm kind of hopping in here i was uh down at a meeting at our state capitol our session is still running i'm very jealous of those guys in these states who have already concluded for the year but our session is still running here in arizona so apologies for being late um matt i'm assuming you've already discussed some of the things that have have happened in maryland this year and the outcomes you all have had right yeah a little bit not uh it was mostly what we've done in the past i didn't really go into particularly this session 
Yeah, well, do you want to give us an overview of this session? Because I know that you all had um, a really tough issue that you were dealing with there that several other states have been able to successfully deal with. So why don't you let us know um, about that bill and, and how you all have handled that and, and the status of it? Yeah, so we we had uh, a couple bills that were problematic. One was a uh, local authorization bill, which basically uh, relinquished the state of Maryland's power and gave it to the individual municipalities to pass whatever vaping laws they would want as far as usage, taxation, what have you. And we defeated that bill. And then there was the, uh, the jewel-backed bill, which would... I mean, it, it wasn't a big bill, but basically said if your product wasn't PMTA authorized, if you received an MDO from the FDA and an, uh, a whole list of different things that these products had to come off the shelves. And it would it would kill all the small business in Maryland and basically hand the, the vaping market over to um, big tobacco. And uh, we had a met meeting with uh, Senator J.B. Jennings and it, it started in the rules committee. And he said, well, it's in the rules committee, you know, if you can read between the lines. And um, so the bill didn't move until a day before crossover. And then it moved to the finance. And we were, we were like, what the heck? You know, we, we were basically told this bill wasn't going to move. But then after, you know, working with our lobbying stuff that in the finance committee is where this bill died. So those were the two major bills that we deal with. And, you know, we, we uh, defeated both of them. So our, our so session in Maryland is only 90 days. So, Well, that's fantastic. So you guys had a, a short amount of time to dispatch those bills. And, and I'm glad to hear that you were successful. We've, we've talked about this a few times on the space here, but, but those uh, PMTA registry bills, um, they were really making the rounds this year. I know we saw them in Georgia Mississippi. There's one in Oklahoma that, that passed um, sort of in secrecy last year that the Oklahoma Association is working on uh, undoing that one. But all the states this year where that bill was proposed, it's my understanding none of them have fared very well. And so what was the feedback that you all were getting from lawmakers when you were making your voices heard on that issue? Well, we only really dealt with the sponsor of that bill. And we basically told them, like, you know, for without going into mass detail, is that this bill, if passed, will put all these small businesses over, you know, over 200 small businesses and X amount of employees with those small businesses out of business with the passage of this bill. And plus, it's going to hand the vapor market over to Big Tobacco with products that are mainly sold to kids in Maryland. And and if uh, and then we gave him a list of all the violations that um, you know statewide, and showing him that these products that would be the only thing on the market are the ones that that kids are buying in Maryland, and we just tried to do our best to educate them, and we were like, you know, we want to discuss this further with you, but there right now there are lawsuits against the FDA pertaining to this very issue, and I think it would be foolish to, to enact a law like this right now until we see the conclusion of those lawsuits. Well, and I think they also preempt, they, they kind of shot themselves in the foot a little bit if you look at my blues denial. I mean, I think Jewel and them are stand, standing on the fact that they think theirs will get through because they're tobacco flavored, but that may not be the case. Yeah, I don't I don't understand where this blind faith in FDA comes from I on agree. the part of some of these larger corporations, because so far, you know, all the approvals that we've seen have been on outdated products. View Solo, uh, Sig Alike that, that nobody buys anymore, uh, got the logic that nobody buys anymore. And so, you know, th this uh, My Blue application was the first real decision on one of those large tobacco company products that's actually sold at a meaningful level. And of course, that's a pod style device um, in a Nick salt. And that was the first time we've really seen a decision on that type of device. And of course, the decision was to deny their their application entirely. And so to me, I'm wondering if I'm some of those larger companies, if I'm starting to regret some of my decisions to push some of these bills that tie state <laughs> policy to FDA decisions. 
I have to agree. I, I would I would think if I would be getting a little bit nervous if that was my decision. I mean, I think they went with the, uh, you know, beat my chest. We have a great PMTA, but, you know, there have been a lot of great PMTAs that have uh, gone down with the ship. Yeah, because I don't I don't see this as a as a question of uh, being purely about the science any longer. I think no. what we've seen through some of these documents that have come out, some of these internal FDA memos, some of the information in the lawsuits is that, you know, some of these decisions got very political. There was a lot of undue outside influence on this decision making process. And to me, it's just clear in the current political climate. Um, no products that are actually popular with consumers are going to make it through this process with the situation being what it is. No, I think we're going to have to have, you know, legal help on that. And I think we should concentrate on a stellar PMTA, which, you know, and have as much data in it as we can. And absolutely. But I think in the end, this thing's going to boil down to some attorney. Yeah, I would tend to agree with that. Yeah, absolutely. I, I don't think anyone's getting out of this without lawsuits, without attorneys and the like. Agreed. And, you know, it was interesting uh, because, you know, when when um, the makers of My Blue responded to this denial on Friday, you know, one of the things that they said they were doing was launching an administrative appeal. Um, you know, so we've got about 43 companies that are currently in litigation with the FDA, but we have hundreds that are still under those administrative appeals, including my own. And so it's going to be really interesting to see if that's going to be another avenue where we start seeing some changes through this administrative appeal process. I don't have a lot of faith in it. I think think, you know, litigation is where their feet are really being held to the fire, but we'll see how these administrative appeals turn out as well. Well, My question, Amanda, the statement that they made was, is they could stay on the market during this administrative appeal. And that's, and, and that's a decision that has to be made with the FDA. I don't believe that's just a carte blanche. You can do that. Yeah, I don't think it's a carte blanche thing. Like, A, you have to request it in your administrative appeal and your 1075 request. And then, you know, FDA has to decide on that one way or the other, whether they're going to give you that enforcement discretion while your appeal's under review. But it's interesting because from all of the original uh, tobacco-derived PMTA denials, all of those administrative appeals, FDA was due to respond to them at the beginning of February. And we still have heard nothing at all from FDA. They're about two months late to issue a decision on those administrative appeals. And there is no sign that any decision is forthcoming anytime soon. And so, you know, once again, the whole market is left in limbo. And I think that would lead to a question for Matt, which is what are you hearing on the ground from your retailers, you know, given what happened on Friday with that first like really big denial, given what's happened with all of the the smaller denials we saw last year, what's the temperature of your retailers on the ground? Well, the the, ret- the retailers are they're worried. I mean, they're worried about their businesses. They're worried about uh, enforcement, and and that's kind of how when we had internal talks with the MBA, we always we would try try to speculate things. And it the way I kind of read the bill when I did read it, I saw it, and and I like your guys' input on this as well. But I kind of saw it as the FDA, the onus right now on the PMTAs and the MDOs. The enforcement is on the onus of the enforcement is on the FDA. So by the passage of this jewel bill, if it did pass, that would put the onus on the state to 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 enforce these laws and make sure these products were removed. So as a shop owner myself and talking to many other shop owners, they're like they're worried. They're like, who's coming to get me? Is it going to be the FDA? Is it going to be the state that I live in? Like and. I mean, you can't help it as, as a small business in these economic times to worry about your business, let alone to have a regulatory authority uh, and be in fear of them coming to shut you down and taking away your way to feed your family. So, I mean, yeah, they're worried. Yeah, that's, you know, and they should be because, you know, we saw FDA clearly over the last you know, 10 or so years that that we've all been in the vapor space, you know, we've seen that FDA enforcement is very, very lax. Um, I don't think they have the manpower 
or the know-how to really properly enforce some of these things that Congress mandates them to do. Uh, but, you know, I mentioned Oklahoma before where this passed last year. One of the things that's come up this year in, in these discussions that we've had to undo some of this is that the, the local state regulatory body there in Oklahoma, the ABLE Commission, they're in no way, shape, or form to prepare, prepared to enforce this law in July when they're mandated to start enforcing it. And so, you know, it, it, it's you're compounding this enforcement problem. It's too big for FDA to get a handle on. And so now you're putting it on these state agencies that are already, you know, tapped for manpower, tapped for resources to do something that even the federal government has been unable to do properly. And so, you know, it's just setting the state state agencies up to be overwhelmed and unprepared, I think. And even in the cities, how is how is my city going to visit every single gas station and, and check a list to make sure every vaping product they have is in the PMTA process? It is absolutely unmanageable by anyone, not even That's, at the state level. That is very, very, very true. Uh, a while ago, the comptroller of Maryland, uh, it was like a year or two ago, I can't remember, you got terrible memory, but they, he, he did an e-cigarette task force for the state of Maryland. And uh, the overwhelming theme that I, I heard from all the health officials that attended that is that we don't have the funds and, and, and we know how little the state of Maryland from the MSA payments give to actually do enforcement or underage checks. They just they screamed basically that we're underfunded. We, we don't have the resource to do, to do all these checks the way we want to. And then the FDA came to my shop less than a week ago. And they were very nice, very polite. And uh, and they told me, it's like, we only have like 24 people to do the entire state of Maryland. And that means every vape shop, every gas station, anywhere that sells a vape product or tobacco product, we have 24 people. And I can imagine if that authority got handed over to state and then talk by talking to those health officials during that e-cig task force, they're not going to be able to handle either. So that just is more, you know, speaking to what you guys just said. Well, and how much smarter would it be if instead of doing enforcement, instead of the FDA doing enforcement, why wouldn't we talk about smarter packaging, um, smarter levels, you know, smarter things that we can do to ensure youth are not attracted to the product instead of worrying so hard about enforcement. It would just, it would make so much more sense to handshake with the FDA as a manufacturer than to go through this. That would be great. I mean, I was in the army for over 10 years and, and uh, every time you think that, well, this is the common sense way to do something. And then it doesn't go that way. And you're like, why? And is it's that, that not what PPD is all about though? Right. Amanda, am I wrong on that? Well, you know, TPD is a little bit of a complicated comparison because there are some really unfortunate uh, parts of TPD, but and I, I think that there are a lot of people that would like to see that change. But you know, the one thing that TPD does have going for it that those kind of images on on your product to you know and, and you know standard warnings standard we're already part way there with standard warnings why can't we just you know do the handshake method and go all right let's come to the table and figure out what would be the best path to ensure youth compliance but not you know it's already illegal how much more illegal can you make it you know you ban it yeah, you know, the, the industry has been offering a viable solution. Oh, really quickly. So we've got a request here from one of our listeners who wants to chime in. So if on the back end we could promote them to speaker so that they can chime in on the discussion, that would be great. So um, I totally lost my train of thought Hello. here. Hello. <laughs> the industry has been handshaking or trying. Hello. Hi there, how are you? Yes, Welcome how are you? Sorry, press me by accident. So I have a question regarding uh, going forward with um, zero nicotine. What's that? What's the uh, thoughts about going, uh, you know, forward with it in the future? Is it going to be regulated because of the flavors? What do you guys think? 
Well, you know, according to the letter of the law, right, anything that is intended to be used with a tobacco product is in and of itself a tobacco product. And so if that, you know, zero nicotine is intended to be used in a device uh, that's regulated by the FDA as, as a tobacco product, then, you know, the, the FDA, I think, would argue that that zero nicotine liquid is itself a tobacco product. But, you know, I don't know that that's an argument that really has ever um, come under any kind of judicial scrutiny uh, where I think there's certainly a case to be made that, you know, a product that contains no nicotine at all, it's very hard to to find a fact pattern that demonstrates that that is a tobacco product. Um, Char, Matt, you guys have thoughts on that? Well, I know what I've came across on, on you know, when I've done, had dealings with the FDA. Um, I know what the letter of the law says, but compliance doesn't appear to like to touch zero nicotine I think they they think that that's probably a hill they don't want to die on. I know in Maryland, the way uh, our laws are written and and how the definitions are spelled out, it's exactly what Amanda was saying. It's, it's, It's all depending on intended usage. And if you take zero nicotine and you plan on putting it in any kind of vape device and inhaling it, it is a tobacco product. End of story. Right. But if it doesn't have any nicotine in it at all and just flavor, then how is that considered a nicotine product? Because <laughs> they say not. it is. <laughs> yeah, it, it, it is a just because I said so situation, but it is absolutely not a, a tobacco product. Uh, would, um, would, would the fines or, um, I don't know, whatever. Well, there is no fines. Or whatever no it is, like, you know, the, the, the criminality of it would be the same thing as, a, as, a, as nicotine or just be a basic, like, hey, take that off the market kind of thing. Uh, yeah, I, under under federal law, I think the first solution that FDA would seek on that would be to send you a warning letter uh, to take those products off of the market. And then, you know, you would have to issue FDA some kind of response and then they would decide whether or not they found your response sufficient. Or, you know, I think... Uh, a warning letter is considered, uh, you know, one of these uh, final actions with the FDA that could be a point that could trigger some kind of legal action if a company wanted to press their point in court. But in, in either case, I, that that first step of enforcement would be an FDA warning letter. And I think that's on, why on a we're state not level, you know, that's going to vary. Got yeah. it. Got it. Got it. Okay. I mean, so it just basically buys us time until whatever else comes along. Bottom line. Well, yeah, I mean, ultimately, at the end of the day, we've got to deal with this FDA monster, right? Because any pivot the industry tries to make, you see how swift Congress and the FDA is moving to combat these things with what they did with synthetic nicotine. And so at the end of the day, I think to have a long term viable marketplace, we've got to deal with this FDA machine. And that's why, you know, I'm so supportive of, of all of these companies dealing with this on the front line in court, because I, I think that's really our best avenue for, for FDA to make some kind of reasonable changes as if they're mandated to in a court of law. Got it. Got it. I understand. Okay. Um, I guess got to come up with a new substance on, uh, to put in there. <laughs> Well, thanks for hopping on with your question. We appreciate it. Thank you. Anybody else has questions, feel free to raise your hand and we'll put you on to be part of the discussion here. Um, so, Matt, I wanted to, to talk to you a bit about uh, Mitch Zeller's op-ed that he placed in The Hill. Did you have a chance to read that? I, I read the uh, the cliff notes of it uh, and uh he said some uh, interesting things in there. <laughs> I mean, I mean, on one hand, some of the things that he said was you're like, I agree. But what you say and what your actions are, are two different things. Right. And I, I, you know, Jim, Jim teased a little bit our sort of counter op-ed that's going to be coming out this week in the Washington Times. But that's one of the big points that we bring up in, in our sort of rebuttal to Mitch Zeller is that, you know, for years, uh, Mitch Zeller has paid lip service to this idea 
of the continuum of risk of harm reduction, you know, the, the continuum of risk, right, is that FDA notion that tobacco products exist on a scale of harm with with cigarettes and combustible products being way over on the extreme of very deadly, very carcinogenic. And then, you know, vapor products being way over on the other end with things like NRT uh, on being nearly harmless, right? And so for years, FDA has promoted this idea of we want to move people down the continuum of risk from these super harmful combustible products over off off of those onto these less harmful products at the other end of the continuum. But FDA actions have completely run counter to that notion. If they were truly trying to move people down the continuum of risk, we wouldn't be seeing all of these denials on products that are widely used and these meager, meager approvals coming out that are almost a slap in the face because they're products that nobody uses and that really aren't marketable, you know, with the technology being where it is at this point, you can't bring back the views so low and expect to meaningfully market that at this point. And so, you know, a lot of his op-ed, you know, was this idea that, um, you know, we believe in the continuum of risk. We're still committed to this idea. We've got to deal with these bad actors that were exploiting this synthetic nicotine loophole. You know, an FDA is going to be really tough and crack down on the synthetic nicotine and these bad actors, right? And to me, uh, it's so disingenuous because... Um, FDA could have seen synthetic nicotine coming a mile away. In fact, they were warned by, about that by many of us well beforehand. You know, part of what FDA has to consider when they're reviewing these applications is the impact to the black market, right? And, and anybody with two licks of common sense could tell you if you deny 90 plus percent of what's on the market, of course, synthetic nicotine is going to be the next logical iteration of vaping products, right? Yes, and, absolutely. And so, Right. And so now FDA is acting like they're so offended that some tiny, you know, single shop location said something mean that hurt their feelings on Facebook. And uh, they've got to write a big op-ed in the Hill about all these, you know, synthetic nicotine loopholes and all of these people spurning the FDA, uh, you know, painting this really false picture when in fact, you know, these are people that warned FDA for years, you know, if you just engage in this, you know, prohibitionist regulatory arson and deny everything, alternatives will emerge and then you're going to have to deal with that. And so, you know, once again, you know, we see FDA saying, well, we just uh, denied everybody, lit all their applications on fire, and now we're going to make everybody apply on synthetic and we're going to light all those applications on fire. What do they think is going to happen if they keep repeating the same mistakes, hoping for a different outcome? You're exactly right. I mean, everything you said is dead on. I mean, I mean, I mean, he, Mitch Seller, he, he even said, he goes, think about e-cigarettes in a properly regulated marketplace is something that could be a benefit to adult smokers who are trying to transition away from cigarettes. That's a quote from him. And and they denied all those PMTAs. And, and it was just, it just wasn't a, you were denied. It was a blanket denial with form letters. I remember when people started receiving their MDOs and they started you know, posting their letter that they got, it was just a form letter that they sent the exact same letter to every single person that got an MDO uh, and with no reason really to why, like specifically they got denied. It was a, it was a general statement. And as like, they know this market exists in the United States. It's not like we're hiding from them. And when they do that, it's like, what do you what do you think that we were going to do as businesses trying to survive? We were just going to be like, Oh, I got an MDO. It's over. Close my doors. Everybody out. It's like, it's just, it's very just disheartening to hear him say the things that he says about nicotine, about harm reduction, and then to turn around and see the FDA basically just blanket deny 99% of the industry. It, it's, you know, Still, 480,000 people a year are dying from cigarettes. Why, why can't we move forward in a productive way in a fair marketplace? I, I don't understand the logic. Neither do I. You know, it's a scheme only Congress and the FDA could come up with. Um, but, you know, Matt, you bring up a good point. It leads me to a further question. Not only, you know, what are we supposed to do about our small businesses and our livelihoods and our employees, but what the, there are 15 million adults in this country who use these products. What do they expect those 15 million adults are going to do? 
And, and why does that not keep them up at night? Because there are no good options, right? Those 15 million adults have to go back to smoking. They have to learn how to DIY their own liquids or they have to turn to the black market. And, and so, you know, not only, you know, what are the businesses going to do? You know, we've got people that are trying to save themselves from dying an ugly death from tobacco-related diseases. They found a solution for themselves that finally works. And the FDA is just going to come out and say, no, I'm sorry, you can't have that because we don't like it. Because we're getting too much political pressure from people in Congress that are taking too much Bloomberg money. So sorry, you can't have these products anymore. You know, what? what is, are they okay with those people having to return to cigarettes? Are they okay with those people uh, having to scrounge up DIY supplies and learn how to do that? You know, if they're even willing to take the time to learn that? You know, are they okay with these people turning to the black market? You know, what in FDA's mind is an acceptable solution? Because they can't be under this notion that those 15 million people are all of a sudden going to start using the view solo overnight. They you know, know they they're know not. Better. They they're know not. they're not. They know they're not because they've, they've known since the 80s that when you combine nicotine and acetaldehyde or something like that, it becomes super addictive and it takes innovation to get over that addiction. You can't just quit or die is just asinine. And they know that the, the, the data is already out there. They know it. Yeah, and I, I, I agree. It's it. I wondered about that too. It's like with all the Bloomberg Bloomberg money coming in, and looking at the people that die from cigarette smoking, is, is it is an issue of morality? Because it's not keeping them up at night, like myself, where I do what I do because you know I buried my grandfather two years ago, and he died from smoking related illnesses, and if vaping had been around years before, you know, he might still be with us today. And, you know, everything I do is, is to have that, that next family member get off of cigarettes, get on to vaping and, and, and hopefully eventually quit vaping and live a, a life where they don't have to inhale anything to get through their day and to have those extra years spent with their family. And, and that, that is something that bothers me. And keeps me up at night and keeps me trying to keep fighting the legislation and, and keep converting smokers that come into my shop into fighting in every turn. And, and that's, to me, it's very important. And it just doesn't seem to be that important to the FDA. It, it well, doesn't even it seem to be that takes, important. It's not important. It only takes one bad apple to, to ruin the entire bunch. And when you're talking about when you've got an FDA that is paid by the same people they're paid to regulate with users fees um, all it takes is one greedy person to know hey i don't want to lose my job so i need to keep people smoking you get that yeah it is very unfortunate the way that they decided to run it almost i mean it's criminal yeah, I mean, we're looking at a government that makes the same amount of profit off of a pack of cigarettes that the tobacco companies do, right, mm -hmm. with all of the taxes, the MSA payments, the FDA user fees. You take that and you add that all together. It's a tremendous amount of money. And, it, you know, we talk about this all the time. You know, we scream it to anybody who will listen. But but how has that not penetrated the public discourse on this topic? The fact that, you know, that the government is essentially a business partner with these tobacco companies with a vested interest in making sure these products continue to be sold. You know, one day we'll have to get Lindsay on here to talk about the tobacco bonds and MSA payments and all that stuff. But And you know, link it's, it's up really to a, the media and how much a, the, the tobacco companies actually own in the media. I, that's definitely not my area of expertise. But when you talk about direct money from sales of cigarettes that goes to the government, it's corrupt from top to bottom. You know, oh, and, yeah. you know, and it and, and 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 you know that this is true because you know one of the best ways to fight some of this harmful legislation that's proposed in the states is when you start talking about the fiscal impact that the state's going to get, and all of a sudden, you know, a group of politicians that were all gung ho, you know, when you talk about oh, well, you know, what about all the cigarette money you're going to lose, and they're like, oh wait, you know, and so the governments they're very aware of how tied they are to the sales of cigarettes. You know, there's very little uh, incentive for them to to want 
these uh, reduced harm products out there. Because, you know, if the tobacco companies make less off the sales of cigarettes, so does the government. I've often said if I was a crack dealer, I could get a lot more compassion from the federal government than I do trying to save someone from smoking. But then again, there's no payments for crack dealers to the government. So I guess if there was, I would have a harder fight. Uh, we've got uh, Rob South, who's got a request to speak. If we could get Rob South promoted to uh, panelist here, I can't wait to hear what Rob's got to say. <laughs> oh, Rob, you, uh, you've got speaking privileges. If you want to come off mute and uh, ask your question or make a comment. Yes, real quick. I just got off the phone about an hour ago with a new uh, runner-up of governor for Colorado. His name is Greg Lopez. He is Republican, um, independent person. Oh, by the way, hello, AVM. Hello, Amanda. Hello, Char. Hey, Matt. <laughs> Hi. Hey, everybody, all the vape fam out there. Um, and I, you know, I told him, I said, first question I asked him was, what is his thoughts on this whole vaping thing? Um, and he stated, well, you know, the kids, we need to protect the kids. I mean, straight right off the bat, I said, look, if we're trying to protect the kids, then what's good for the goose has to be good for the gander. Goodbye all alcohol flavoring, like your vodka-filled popsicles, Mr. Lopez. Go down to Costco. You're in Parker. I'll tell you exactly where that Costco is, and I'll show you exactly where that where that is. And he's like, well, I didn't really think. I said 3,500 youth die every year from alcohol crap, and we got vodka-filled popsicles. So if our government, both Bloods and Crips or Latin Kings, whatever you guys prefer to be, then why aren't we going after the more devastating to our youth? 3,500 kids die and get addicted. So if we're talking about potential addictions and things like that, longevity, and yes, like what you guys were saying a minute ago, 46 states went into business in 1998 with big tobacco. My mother died, not one penny. Now, she's in Texas, so Texas was null and void in that. But it doesn't matter. Has any of those 46 states spent any of that MSA money on the actual bills from these dying smokers? Nope, not a single penny. So. No, they took that money, they tossed it into their general funds, and they used it to fund their pet projects. That MSA deal is one of the most corrupt things that ever happened because those smokers, they didn't receive any benefit from that. Their health care costs weren't covered. Those grieving families, they, they didn't get any restitution from that. It all went into the general slush funds of these state government right. agencies, and they've done with it as they will. It's completely corrupt. Correct. And that's what we need to bring to light. So, And that's why I'm so hardcore on the alcohol industry right now i mean that's why i'm trying to show all of that because if they're if our kids are that important to them then why don't they save one life i also brought up the high high caffeine products and i'm sorry i'm probably treading on a lot of your liberties here guys but i'm sorry it's my liberty too but we have to show what's good for the goose is good for the gander and the battle that they're picking is the wrong one sorry that's all i needed to say guys sorry <laughs> <laughs> well, I, I, I appreciate no the passion and the fire. And, you know, I wish I could quote these numbers off the top of my head. I'm not that good, though. Um, but the, the stats on, on youth drinking and youth marijuana use far exceed youth vaping at this point. So, you know, youth vaping has come down over 60 percent in the last you know, a few years, but yep, we haven't 62. seen similar reductions. Yeah, exactly. We haven't seen those reductions in youth alcohol use or youth marijuana use at all. It's Correct. still that's actually vaping, going up higher. You I'm never sorry, know Amanda. it. That's going up higher. Yeah, it already is higher than vaping, but nobody. But knows there's that. no MSA payments on on alcohol. No, but there's stocks and bonds that they can all buy as they're making regulations. My bad. The same for Maryland uh, is the uh, the youth drinking and drugs problem is off the charts compared to what vaping oh, is. Yeah, absolutely. And what do they talk about all the time? Yep, vaping. And you can have all the alcohol popsicles you want. Yeah. So fun fun fact for anyone listening. So uh, Campaign for Tobacco Free Kids also owns the domain Alcohol Free Kids, and so. You know, they've, they've owned that domain for a very long time and they've never done anything with it. And so, you know, <laughs> that'd be my question to them is, you know, obviously. I bet Matt is alcohol. mad at him. Right. You know, alcohol, you know, they're obviously aware that that's a problem. They own the domain alcohol free kids. When do they intend to step up and do something about that? Bingo. Yeah, it's, it's, they won't, money. They, they won't. There's too much money. We, this industry gut checked three major people. Big state, first and foremost, big pharmaceutical, and then big tobacco. Big tobacco isn't really hurting. They're converting. 
And and as I was talking to Demi last last week, um, when you see these countries and stuff that have social medicine where it's beneficial, money wise, um, they're heavy promoters of vaping. What is the biggest complaint, real quick, that you hear most and foremost is the taxpayers' burden from these uncomfortable right. medical bills from that? Well. Weren't we mandated insurance? Well, why wouldn't we? Why would we mandate we insurance? So that's why no would longer we help a, reduce that, that. Do you see what I'm saying? That's no longer a bitching. That's that's no reason for them to complain now. Everybody's covered, supposedly. Yeah, no, that's not how that works. <laughs> well, I'm just saying. I mean, and that's in their medical dream world. Big medical doesn't. They don't care where the money comes from. We know this. Yeah, they, that's tax that's dollars, for their dream world. But, I mean, you yeah. hear that all the time is that, you know, smoking is such a, a harsh drain on on the economy, state economies, but yet we have a resolution that they hate. Yeah. We're, we're putting forth something that could help with that, and, we, and they hate it. It's Why? called hashtag corruption like a mug. It is. It is. I mean, I, I just... You know, you, you you if you fix somebody, if you heal somebody, um, you know, smoking in this country has really, as you say, gut checked a lot of our health, our population. Oh, big time. Those salaries are being threatened. Yeah. I mean, we have really, really absolutely put the hurting on them. And when the smoking rate started declining, I, I think alarm bells started going off. That's exactly what happened. So, but yeah, we have you know, to so get louder. Oh, if well, I Ron's, do, I'll Ron's get arrested. Loud enough for all of us. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> if I, that's why I don't go speak. Because if I do, they will arrest me. I like it when you come talk in all of our Colorado hearings, Rob. You bring the fire and the passion. I drop the with mic, you. don't I? And then I walk out. I'm like, go ahead, you certain... me all their business. Good day. Click. I'm out. <laughs> but I advise you don't do a flavor ban, Golden. All you're going right? to do is send them right to me. Well, and that's I'll that's say anything a, and everything to keep us going. And you know that's the whole problem with all of this, um, you know, willy nilly legislation. They're playing whack a mole. You know, they're just and and it's really unfortunate because a lot of good businesses are losing in this whack a mole process. It's like. Uh, <clears throat> You know, okay, we can't prohibit all of these products at the state level, so we'll prohibit them in this one little town. And, you know, luck of the draw, if you happen to have a business located in this town, you're out of business. Or, you know, if you happen to be a resident of this town, you know, you're out of luck on your products. You're just going to have to drive or figure it out. And, you know, it's it's lunacy. We need a sustainable long-term solution these products are here they're not putting the genie back in the bottle there's no reason to even want to put the genie back in the bottle because these products are helping millions of people and so until the government comes to grips with the fact that these products are here they're not leaving they're helping a tremendous amount of people and 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 they need to regulate them responsibly until then it's just whack-a-mole and and we're all just a victim of the chaos well it used to be a cult when i first started helping people to stop smoke smoking it was a cult right you it proliferated through everything you you would you would help one family member and then they would you know take that as their torch to go help all their family and it is not that way anymore you you always you almost feel the shame of smoking has just drained on to vaping yeah you know um that's a really good point. We're almost out of time. So, Matt, I'll give you the final thought on on that one. You know, how do you deal with that, the, the, the misinformation and the stigma that's associated with vaping? I, I think as uh, responsible people that we all have to deal with it in whatever our capacity is, is continue to educate people at the shop level like I do every day at my shop, educate people educate legislators and if, if you're not involved in a shop you're not involved in legislation or a state advocacy group then you educate the people around you you educate smokers you educate other people that vape and let them know what's going on and how it's going on i mean we can only do what we can do in our capacity that we're in and we just have to consistently do it and do it every day and get louder 
Absolutely. Well, it's definitely the time to be loud. Uh, so we'll go ahead and wrap it up there. Thank you, Matt, for joining us today. And kudos on the incredible job you guys are doing in Maryland. I know you all keep it up. You've got an amazing crew over there. Uh, so thanks for joining the space. Char, thank you for <laughs> hopping on and co-hosting and covering for me while I was uh, late getting on here. And uh, we will be back with you guys uh, next time. And don't forget to keep an eye out for AVM's op-ed in the Washington Times this week. Yeah, thank you for having me. I appreciate it. Uh, you have my eternal devotion. You know it. <laughs> All right, everyone, have an excellent week. Bye.